welcome to the Backend Engineering Show with your host, Hussein Nasser. This is the show where we discuss the art and the craft of building software and cover recent news on backend technologies. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and rate it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. With that said, let's get on the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. On January 4th, 2021, Slack experienced a global outage that prevented customers from using the service for nearly five hours. Slack has released the root cause analysis incident report, which I'm going to summarize in the first part of this video. After that, I'll provide a lengthy deep dive analysis of the incident, so make sure to stick around for that. If you're new here, I make backend engineering videos and also cover software news, so make sure to like, comment, and subscribe if you would like to see more. Plus, it really helps the channel. Let's just jump into it. So this is an approximation of the Slack architecture based on what was described in the reports. Clients connect to load balancers. Load balancers distribute requests to the backend servers. And finally, backend servers make requests to database servers, which is powered by MySQL through the test sharding. All of those are connected by routers in cross-boundary network in the cloud provider, which I believe it's AWS. Around 6 a.m. January 4th, the cross-boundary routers sitting between the load balancer and backend and the backend to DB started to drop packets. This led to the load balancer slowly marking backends as unhealthy and removing them from the fleet which compounded the amount of requests coming from the client. The number of failed requests eventually triggered the provisioning service to start spinning an absurdly large number of back-end servers. However, the provisioning service could not keep up with the huge demand and shortly started to time out for the same networking reasons and eventually ran out of maximum open file handlers. Eventually, Slack Cloud Provider increased the network capacity and backend servers and everything went back to normal at around 11 a.m. PST. This was a summary of the Slack outage. Now sit back, grab your favorite beverage, and let's go through the detailed incident report, guys. All right, guys. So Slack have released the final root cause analysis report. And now we know what caused the outage that happened on uh, January 4th. 2021, Monday, people just returning to work. I don't envy the uh, the Slack engineers that had to kind of suffer this in the beginning of the year, man. Usually in the beginning of the year, things are slowing down. We don't have much work to do. Like, you know, check email, this us. I don't envy the Slack engineers, but they did a pretty good job. But guys, from the issue summary here, we're going to read it in a minute, but whatever happened to that outage, Unlike the Google outage, unlike the Amazon outage, unlike the Microsoft outage that I talked about, 
Slack has no fault here. <laughs> it's all the cloud provider, in my opinion. If if network if the network just the infrastructure underneath you just started falling apart, what can you do? You don't have any choice, right? So the networking infrastructure, the routers, right? Uh, this like a, it's this is no fault of Slack in my opinion. But as I explained in the summary, however, I think they could have done in the in the in the remedy section that we're gonna go through. They could have done few things to avoid that problem, at least, or at least minimize it. Let's go through this. Let's go through a report. Uh, grab your favorite beverage, and let's uh, sip and then enjoy. Issue summary. Starting around 6 a.m. PST on 2021, January 4th, some customers started experiencing occasional errors and increased latency while using Slack. I start getting tweet at the same exact time. I wake up around 5 a.m. every morning. So I started getting tweets actually before that, maybe around 5.30, I started getting the tweets, right? And uh, uh, some of you say, hey, saying, talk about the Slack outage. What Slack outage? Like, I don't even use Slack. I have Slack on my phone, but I only subscribe to HA proxy community. That's that's the only thing. And I barely look at it as well. So, yeah. So, so then the tweets started raising. And they like, okay, this is a real outage. Around 7 a.m. PST, there was a rapid increase in errors and Slack was not usable for all customers. Around 8.45 a.m., PST, some customers began to see improvement, but others who were trying to launch their Slack clients were not able to do so. By around 9.15 PST, most customers were able to use Slack again normally. We continued to experience elevated errors until uh, 10.40 a.m. PST, after which all customers were able to use Slack again normally. So around, what, 4 hours, 40 minutes? So five hours almost. So yeah, that's not so bad if you think about it. And uh, I know we made uh, in the early report video that I made, uh, I made a lot of, uh, I guess, assumptions and assertions, right? Related to the cache because they they ask customers, hey, do a control F5, whatever that command to do a full refresh or a hard refresh, right? And that was, now it makes sense based on the summary, right? We're going to go and talk about that. That would cause... Around 6 a.m. PST, we began to experience packet loss between servers caused by a routing problem between network boundaries. That's an interesting name, network boundaries. On the network for our cloud provider. So they didn't specify what what is their cloud provider, but I googled it. It's AWS. I don't know why wouldn't they mention it here. But it's clear it's AWS. Looks like it, right? By 6.30 a.m. PST, the packet loss began to worsen. Is that even a word? Worsen? Can you say worsen, English people? Worsen? I guess, worsen. Causing increased error rates from our backend servers. We were paged at 6.46 a.m. PST due to high error rates. So that, that's when they actually got notified. So it started at 6 a.m. They were paged 40 minutes later because of the increased amount of error. But... Essentially, they didn't get, remember guys, this is, they didn't get paged because of packet loss. And that's something they're going to remedy. Because if they, if they got paged bec- or, or they get some monitoring that says, hey, there's a lot of packet loss. What's going on? No, the packet loss led to servers being unresponsive and as a result being removed from the fleet and be as a result 
increased errors and that errors got triggered. So that's that's something we see very, very, very common pattern with Google as well. The root cause didn't trigger the uh, paging, right, uh, to, to, to the engineers. So they didn't know as early as possible. The ramification downstream effect is what caused the paging, right? The notifications to the engineers that, hey, something is going on, right? This is a very common pattern and it's being uh, the same thing with Amazon happened. I remember Google, same exact thing. They didn't get, when their quota went to zero, they didn't get notification, right? They got notification when actually the, the users couldn't authenticate, which is a downstream effect as a result of this. Very, very common uh, things in engineering. We see it all the time. It's it's not what you think it is. It's always something else that caused the problem. And uh, what do you do as engineers? You try to kind of remedy that by trying to understand it better. In addition, many backend servers were busy servicing high latency requests due to network problems between our backend server because most of these requests are synchronous, right? The load balancer or, or the, the backend server will make a request and then just wait, 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 wait for a response. And that doesn't mean necessarily that the backend is actually chunking or the database is chunking the request and servicing it. No, it's just the network to, to make the TCP packet. I don't know if you use TCP, but I'm just assuming that to, to, to make sense of the packets to actually form a logical request that is not even reaching that state to the client, which is the backend in this case. I am my request is not getting serviced, but the packets that assembled, the multiple packets that assemble into a logical request is not even serviced. That's the problem here, right? At, at least my, well, that's what I'm analyzing right here. Right. Because once that request reaches the server, I mean the, the processing power is there. We have that, right? problem here is just networking man you see this very clearly if you build an app that connects to a database right and the database usually database apps are chatty in general right because you need to start transactions uh, create cursors execute queries and you have to execute many queries and there's a, the ch- the protocol of the communication between the database and the backend is always chatty Regardless, right? That's why I always say keep your servers closed and your database closer, right? Keep your database as close to as possible to the server within the same network to avoid that latency. Because the the chattier your app becomes, you know, of course, you, the best thing is just make it less chatty. But the chattier it becomes, the 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 more the more prone to errors the networking errors it becomes right because every request now it goes to the network and then all these networks start to segment multiple segments right which is packets and then all these packets have to be delivered and one of them if it didn't deliver you have to retransmit it retransmit and all this is happening beneath you as a back-end application you can you have no control over this to you the request has not been sent yes yet right but all of this request man well, these high latency requests where only 1% of the incoming request, they used about 40% of the server time, right? All these requests are just waiting, waiting, waiting for responses, but they can't because of this problem. Then 
obviously when you wait for something apparently that tells me they don't have enough time out set up right because if you have enough time out you just like kill it kill it very early and that's a very interesting problem because i can't possibly suggest a, a, a one time out that fills all right you have to at that at one point you have to specify if a request is taking so much time that is it's actually overwhelming your server you have to kill it because that it, there's no way you're waiting for this stuff and that's a as to me as i, I hate to say that but it's a trial and error in my opinion right because you say you you have to know like what 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 are the parameters to stop or uh, what are the parameters that says okay this request should finish within three milliseconds or 500 milliseconds or sometimes based on the parameters of the input of the request that can take up to a second who knows right so time out is one of the most important things and obviously goes to the circuit breaking if you have a chain of these things very very interesting i don't know if they took this into consideration or not subsequently our service discovery system marked many back-end servers as unhealthy due to the networking problems. Obviously, if the load balancers start making requests to the back-end, which turn around and make requests to the database, which is Vitesse, by the way. I talked about that the other day. Um, which It's not the database, not Vitesse. The database is MySQL and sharded by Vitesse, which is a sharding layer that's just... Uh, removes the application logic sharding down to a tablet uh, that is controlled by Vitesse. Yeah, so the load balancer at the, at the end of the day make a request to the backend and the backend is not responding and it says, yeah, well, I don't know what's wrong with this backend, but I'm removing it from my fleet. Right? And we talked about that in HAProxy, right? And how HAProxy can mark a backend as unhealthy. Right or or unusable, it just just will drop it from the lead of servers and will mark it as just essentially uh, unhealthy, so that it won't send request in the future to that to that backend. The network problems worsen, which significantly reduced the number of healthy servers. By 7 a.m. PST, there was an insufficient number of backend servers to meet our capacity needs. Customers either could not load their Slack clients or saw error pages directing them to the Slack style page. Because now, if you don't have enough backend server to serve all these massive amount of requests, the load balancer will have only few servers to work with. And guess what? As a result, either again a timeout at the load balancer side, not the backend, it's just earlier. Or you're going to get errors, or you're going to get all sorts of weird things. So, what happened next? Our backend server fleet then began to automatically scale up to meet the traffic demand. So, this is all happening without them, right? They didn't trigger anything. They were paged at 6.40 a.m. By 7 a.m., they started, they started automatically scaling up. And guess what? They almost have no servers at this point. So what does the automatic scale up? And that comes to the parameter and AI and all that stuff, right? The automatic parameter said, oh, well, you don't have any servers. I'm going to spin up 1,200 servers, which is absurdly unrealistic if you think about it, right? Just what happened? What is going on? You spent 1,200 servers? Obviously, the automated 
scale up is based on some human algorithm that someone put there, right? But between 7 a.m. and 7 uh, 15 a.m. PST, our automation attempt to simultaneously add 1200 servers to the backend fleet. A much higher rate of server provisioning than we normally handle. Who's going to handle that 1200 server ad in a, in a given in 15 minutes? That's just ridiculous, right? I don't know if Google does that even. Our provisioning service, which configures new servers in cloud environment, had three problems. So now, the cascading effect comes to the comes to play, right? That we talked about. Uh, we have the networking cause the load balancer to drop back in servers, which then triggers the provisioning services. Hey, you don't have any servers. Let me spin up some service for you, son. So here's the problem for the provisioning service. It was unable to keep up with the multiple task of configuring servers at the requested rate because when you spin up a request server, you have to configure it, put the necessary app, version, whatever, do pull from GitHub or your source repository, uh, install the uh, runtime, if it's a VM, spin up the right VM version, whatever they learn, then install the app, run them, configure them, put the configuration, all that stuff, plus DNS configuration, resulting in unhealthy servers in, in the fleet. Right, so it couldn't it couldn't even keep up with the amount of work that it needs to do because the provisioning service is just another service, right? And if the service is facing another networking problem and the um, the load of twelve hundred servers to configure that, which they didn't anticipate, it's gonna go down. Provisioning began to take increasing amount of time until it reached thirty minutes, which is when we when the operations timeout. So they have a timeout of 30 minutes in a single server. And if you ask this poor service to spin up 1,200 servers, eventually it's going to run in parallel, right? It's gonna, I'm going to spin one, two, three, four, five. But, but at one point, it will just slow down, right? It will say, hey, I can't handle concurrently spinning up this much server. So it will basically have less and less and less resources and as a result the provisioning time will go up and up and up and up until it hit the timeout reaches 30 minutes all you have is a is a bad configuration left you have a server that is bad it's unusable the service ran out of open file handles because it kept an open file handle for each server then it that it attempt to provision and it was provisioning more machine at once then we had load tested for. So is it safe that, to say that the maximum file handles were 1,000? I think this is a little bit low. I didn't understand this. Uh, I would like someone uh, else who, anyone actually can explain this better because file handler or handles in Linux, I'm, I'm, I'm not very proficient in Linux and Unix system, but I know that file handlers are opened with networking sockets and the, I know that the limit, the, the default limit is, is 10,000, I think, right? So there is the, the open file handlers are, are maximum is high. So I, I don't know why they hit that so early, spinning up just 1,200 servers. I might be wrong. There's, there must be something missing that I don't know about that. Uh, I appreciate anyone from Slack or anywhere else uh, who can explain this. I'm just curious. 
this service ran into API rate limit from some of our cloud providers API, which slowed down the provision operation further. Oh, okay. So apparently AWS, which they didn't say, have to provision these servers, they have a rate limited. You cannot just spin up as much VMs or as much EC2 instances. I'm just assuming there's EC2, I'm not sure. This, you cannot just like spin up willy-nilly right they have a, a rate limiting and they they that service hit the rate limit to me that these are not problems in my opinion you should not be worrying about provisioning 1200 servers right i think this is wasted engineering efforts in my opinion why would you this is over engineering you're going into the road the wrong direction in my opinion slack you're Fixing a problem that shouldn't happen in the beginning with. I don't think if you made this provisioning service accept higher and higher, higher rates, yeah, you still you just made you just you just made the the uh, the process a little bit faster. But the cause of the problem is networking, and I don't think you could do anything about it. fix the root cause that that shouldn't reach. You shouldn't reach a state where you need to spin up a twelve hundred server in fifteen minutes. I don't think so. So spend those resources, in my opinion, if I wouldn't do this, I would spend it on getting a better network capacity, dedicated uh, network capacity for you. So you don't even run into this problem. Avoid network, cross-boundary networks with different sub-networks, right? So make sure the backends and the database are in the same subnet so you avoid routing as much as possible. Everything is within the same network essentially so that minimizes these things this this makes sense to me this i'm not sure let me know guys if you disagree with my statement i don't think this is a well spent effort spending time to kind of well increase the api rate limit for this what what would that what would that add you right it's just you're gonna spin and plus if you're gonna spin up if you the next time you spin up a new servers they're gonna go down because of the same problem the networking problem so you can't possibly spin up enough servers to keep up with the root problem which is this latency which is the dropped packet which is i think there's some sort of threshold that aws has just hit with you guys this happened in large part because our provisioning service failed under the unprecedented load of provisioning requests well of course it's gonna fail it was excessive what the hell is this word what is this word Ex- exacerbated Ugh. excuse me guys english is not my first language so you can make fun of me but i had to look this up exacerbated what the heck is exacerbate Exacerbate. What? Exacerbate. Exacerbate? Okay. Exacerbate. Make a problem, bad situation, or negative feeling worse. Oh, to make something worse, exacerbate. Can't you just say make something worse? Okay. It was exacerbated by the... (laughs) I can't say it. It was exacerbated by the outgoing network problems, which caused some newly provisioned servers to have problems contacting the provisioning service or the configuration service and those machines could not get far enough through the provisioning process to start the service 
We talked about that, the, the timeout 30 minutes, right? Both of these causes resulted in partially provisioned servers, which are useless, which could not take traffic. Eventually, I'm, I'm glad that they didn't accidentally add that because I would, I would imagine myself doing a bug like that. I wouldn't, for example, I would not anticipate that the provisioning will complete successfully, right? Because I wouldn't test, for example, I would have missed the testing of 30-minute timeout. So I was like, hey, provisioning complete. Let's add it to the fleet. Half-assed like that. And then the load balancer would say, share. Let me just uh, route traffic to this half-assed server. And uh, I don't want to imagine where we'll go after that. So obviously that they thought this through, which is awesome <laughs> to me. I, so, you know, I, I would admit if I would make some mistakes. And this this is a mistake that I would definitely have make. Right, I would I would not think about uh, that. Oh, oh, by the way, provisioning couldn't always be successful because of a timeout. Like, how can I think about that? And you have to get hit once by the problem in order to learn from it. And now that I know, I know in the future if I ever provision something, I know to to think about that. A half provision server. <laughs> Our observability platform was also not reachable for most of the incident because its connection to the database was subject to the network instability. We always, always see this. Amazon outage, the Google outage, the Microsoft outage hit exactly the same problem. Because of an infrastructure problem, the ability to observe was severed. You cannot even observe what's going on. It's like, it's like a reverse Schrodinger's cat, right? You want to look, but if you look, you're dead. You can't even look. <laughs> so it's just done. So that's the same thing. Because they're using part of their infrastructure as observability, you can even look what's going on. And uh, now that we know about this, the observability are really, really important to, to keep the observability fleet as separate as possible. And they're going to discuss how they're going to do this in the, in the corrective action. This complicated our debugging efforts and extended the time of recovery. We attempt to pre-provision observability platform servers for troubleshooting, but we were unable to do so due to the problems with provisioning service. Why am I talking like South African accent? We began to do direct queries to our metrics backend. Around 8.05 a.m. PST, we diagnosed that our provisioning service had run out of file, open file handlers. We fixed that by increasing the file handle limit at 8.13 a.m. Can you share with us what is the file limit? I'm just really interested. We were then able to successfully provision servers which entered service and served traffic. All right, finally, they, so they increased the provisioning. They Probably they also increased the timeout from 30 minutes to whatever. They don't really need to exceed the timeout, I guess, because the problems were mostly because of the maximum open file limit, which indicated that our cloud provider network stability have improved. All right, so the network stability, which is the root cause, which I guess, guys, it's like I don't think you can do anything about this. The, in, the underlying network is just unstable. What can you do? And... Just make, it makes me think like we're dependent on the things that we take for granted. Right? So network engineers, guys, you have a big job when it comes to backend engineering. My God. 
look at this. Like network engineering is really, really tough. I mean, imagine I mean, if your network, and you, you might come back and say, it's like Hussein, if your electricity is gone, you don't even have anything. Of course, yeah, the most important thing is electricity. If you don't have electricity, you don't have any of this stuff. Unless we, unless Elon Musk started making batteries for computers. That would be awesome. We later were told by our cloud provider that during this time period, they increased their network capacity in an effort to reduce the instability. We then provision new backend servers and observe them successfully taking production traffic. We worked with our cloud providers to lift the rate limit, which were restricting how quickly we can provision new machines. Why am I? I searched the accent to an Iranian accent all of a sudden. We steadily increased our backend server fleet size and began to see successful customer traffic. By 9.15 PST customers were able to use Slack again. We continued to experience elevated error due to network stability until 10.40 AM PST. When our cloud provider had finished increasing their capacity, all customers were able to use Slack again. So, increase their capacity. Very interesting. It looks like Slack had hit some sort of a limit they didn't tell us about. And that limit, the networking limit, just started, it's like, hey, you had you had your maximum upload or download bandwidth. That would be really weird. You hit that limit. And AWS, why, would, why wouldn't AWS just tell you that, hey, you hit their limit? This, again, Slack did not explain what that is. And I saw, and, and we're going we're gonna to read about that in a minute. There is another root cause analysis that we don't have access to for public. That Slack asked the cloud provider, which I think it's AWS again, they didn't mention, of what caused the network latencies and uh, the instability. I need to get my hand into that stinking report to know what goes on, really. Because we still don't know what caused it. Is it, is it a threshold? Is it just a, because a, a cross-boundary, you're going out of your network and that has a limit? Guys, If you are, I don't use your AWS. If any of you use AWS, do you guys have some sort of a limit between cross-boundaries? Like if you have a network, you, you, I think it's going to call it BP uh, virtual in NIC, virtual network or something like that, where you can create multiple virtual network. And if you go across these V virtual networks, then you are penalized essentially because you're going cross-boundary. They charge you something and, and maybe they put a limit there. I'd like to know about that architecture. I, I know nothing about that stuff. And I'm making assertions here. So uh, stop me if I said anything stupid. I'd love to be corrected, obviously. Corrective action. So what they did to fix this stuff. We have completed our detailed investigation and compiled our corrective action to prevent future incidents of this kind. Our cloud provider has increased the capacity of their cross-boundary network traffic system. Okay, so there is a limit capacity to the cross-boundary traffic system, so between a network to another network, as well as moving us from shared to identical system. Aha! You guys were shared. You were using a shared system. So 
you were moved to a dedicated networking. So you were shared with others. Obviously, the whole thing is built, I would assume, into some sort of a, uh, SDN, software-defined networking, right? And, and encrypted and all that stuff, right? In order to share the system. This, this SDN, the software-defined stuff, this is the future, guys. I used to kind of underestimate this stuff, but man, that is very important to cloud our infrastructure because you build one network and then you virtualize the networking on top of that, right? And then you create virtual boundary on top of that. Obviously, that adds a little bit of a latency, I would assume, but I don't know how much compared to a bare metal networking. Love to know that stuff, but again, I'm not a network engineer. They have provided us with a detailed RCA. Root cause analysis. Can you give it to us? Or is it confidential? My friends at Slack, please give us root cause analysis. Yes, my friends. That's my Arab accent, by the way. That's my original accent. Yes, we always... I'm going to talk from now on this language. We have a new run book for how to debug our systems through direct queries to our metrics backend without our observability platform. That just, that's just Greek. <laughs> There's a, a, you can't... All the Middle Eastern English is exactly the same, right? It's like always this thick accent that we have. So, yes, my friends, let's give us this. So they have a new runbook for how to debug our systems through direct queries to our metrics. So that is, that's the observer, observability thing that we talked about. So they are hitting the database directly, I guess, or they are SSHing into, into like all of this stuff. Like I, I would be surprised. Like yeah, we just SSH into the th- the thing and we run our observability. Why? Why can't you just say that? You have to put it in words that is confusing. Our direct queries to our metrics backend without observability flop form. Just yeah, you just association to the damn thing. I don't know. I'm just making things up. Maybe it's more sophisticated than I just articulated. But companies usually don't 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 let you know that their their original methods. They always try to make it as vague as possible. We have prepared methods to configure some services to reduce cross-boundary network transit. Aha! That's one of the most important things. Why do you have so many cross-boundary networks? Can you can you keep those databases and backend servers as close as possible within the same NICs? Right? That would be really awesome, right? Because that, first of all, they're gonna give you higher latency. Where? Wait, the reverse. Lower latency because you don't have to jump into routers, right? Because if I send a request to an IP address within my same subnet, that doesn't go through the router. Well, it does go through the switching part of the router to point back at me. But it doesn't jump and does no, there's no natting, there's no routing, there's no inspection of packets. It's just, it happens at layer two. We'll just look at layer two, the frame, and then... Just move it around, right? It's way faster, obviously, than going through the switch. Uh, we have increased our open handle provisioning service workers. Guys, I think this is useless. I think this is absolutely useless. I, I don't know. I really don't think you, you guys do have to do this. Because you will never hit that file limit. It's unnecessary. The problem that happened to you was outside your uh, kind of restriction that's not the word outside of your control 
It's outside of your control. You couldn't control the network latency. That's what that. What, it's like saying someone just plugged the electricity, just pl- plugged all the wires, and you all of a sudden uh, lost all your backend. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna s- s- provision twelve hundred servers? Maybe you just turn back those servers on, right? That's what you're gonna do. You're gonna restart them instead. Yeah. So I still don't think. There is a use case for provisioning in 10 minutes, 1,200 servers. It just sounds absurdly high. I'd rather just restart my existing services if everything went fine, right? Our cloud provider has increased the API limit uh, on the cloud service API we call as part of the provisioning process. Again, I don't think that's necessary. Sure, you guys know your architecture better than I am. I I don't think it's uh, necessary. Because you should never hit that API rate limit. I mean, how long have been Slack running? When when was Slack uh, first uh, shipped? Seven years ago, 2013. Since seven years ago, you didn't have to increase that limit until now. Why? Did you actually need that increased limit? Maybe yes, maybe no. I still don't think you guys don't need it. I might be wrong, obviously, on anything I say here. We will create an alert for packet rate limit between bound network boundaries on the network our cloud. This work will be this is extremely way more important than increasing the stinking API limit, guys. This is important because that what caused the backend servers to be marked as unhealthy because the request couldn't be it couldn't even reach the server to begin with because the packets were falling and dropping. Right? That's important. We need to know when packets are disappearing. The packet rate, if the packets are starting to drop, that's a good identifier. So I don't know if they have access to that though. That'll be interesting. So, so what, what Slack is doing essentially is just like they are they are essentially what uh making their software, their platform even more stickier with Amazon, if that's if that's the case. Because the routers or those packet limits are all in the in the Amazon AWS. So they must have built those APIs to interact with those routers, which is obviously an AWS APIs. So good luck moving out of that platform now. Because now you just like uh, increase the uh, stickiness between the Slack architecture and the cloud provider because you're doing all that stuff and, and it might be, it might be okay it's not a big problem right but just be aware of that it's just something to be interest interesting to think about we will increase the number of provisioning service workers to improve our capacity provision this will be complete i don't know why i would do that again i don't see a value of increasing the service workers Again, guys, service workers is not the service worker in the browser that Chrome's come up with, right? This is a completely different thing in the backend. This uh, this work will be done twenty twelve. Okay, on February February twelfth, we will improve observability on our provisioning service. This work will be done by February twelfth. I kept saying February. This is the Arabic way of saying February. So excuse me, because I can only talk for for a certain amount of time in English, after which I deplete and go back to my original accent and language. So uh, the same thing happened at work. So if I am in a long meeting, I would speak English, but after which and I, I get depleted because I, I do a lot of translation in my mind 
to translate English to Arabic to, in order to understand it and then speak. And then after which I just die. I start, I start, I, I start leaking Arabic words left and right. So be, be mind of that. The, the longer the video, you should, you should have started seeing it by now. We will load test our provisioning service. This work will be done by uh, April 13. That's a good test. Just, just load test it. I mean, yeah. Not that you're going to hit that, in my opinion. We will revisit our backend server scaling automation to ensure we have the right setting for predictive scaling, rate scaling, and metric that we have to scale. That is way more important than actually increasing the provision service. Looks like this is a very knee-jerk uh, reaction. It's like, hey, make it better, make it bigger, make it bigger. No, make it smarter. That's what you're doing. This point. That's dope right there. Make the scaling automation smart enough to know, wait a second, why the heck am I scaling 1,200 servers? Can I leverage them, some of these unhealthy ones and maybe revive them back? We will improve our runbooks. What is a runbook? For debugging network issues. Is that is that the monitoring system? This work will be done. Well, is, isn't that exactly what you guys mentioned right here, the packets? I guess it's the same thing. Networking issues. Yeah, networking issues is very important to kind of notify. We will investigate and test two settings of our backend servers. The first is the request timeout. That's very important. I said that. And the second is the number of simultaneous requests being handled. The request timeout is so important, guys, right? Because the, most of these requests, they remember the 40% of these requests being just waiting for things to happen. And the server just spent a lot of time waiting for a request to happen and it will never happen, right? So in, in not increasing, decreasing a timeout so that they time out faster so they can break that so they can free to serve other stuff is way more important in my opinion. So they are revisioning this and, and again, they have to investigate. There is no one value that helps here. You get a try, you have to kind of look at the request. Uh, what's the nature of this request? Because I work with these things on a daily basis. And there are requests that you, can, you just can't time out. Why? Because the input parameter to that request kind of change completely the response. And the, the different, different parameter, one parameter can give you one minute response. The other parameter can give you a, a 300 millisecond response. It's unpredictable. It's not deterministic, as, as computer science people say. By adjusting these values, we may be able to prevent a small number of requests from using the majority of the resources in the backend. That's very important. Very clever. People, Slack people are on it. April, they're going to do this work. Guys, guys, what do you think about this? This is very interesting. I'm going to uh, leave, uh, please leave uh, your opinions and uh, let me know if I said anything that is correct. And, uh, We'll just, let's have a discussion. This is a very interesting one. This is different than the Microsoft outage that I talked about, than the Google outage that I talked about, than the Amazon outage. The three outages were caused by, uh, for the lack of better term, bugs in the architecture. Slack, they have, they have a solid architecture in my opinion. Apart from the cross-boundary request, I would fix that. 
But the networking networking latency have they have no control over it. It's like it's like pulling the electricity underneath you. It's like like powering off the whole thing. Just like bleh, remove the outlet. What can you do? You don't have electricity. It's like you don't have networking. Can't do anything, right? So yeah, but but the lessons that Slack, I, I love their messaging here. The, the, the way they wrote the paper, they didn't blame anyone. They said, hey, we're make we're gonna we're gonna do better. They said, "Hey, it's not their fault, but they didn't be they didn't become defensive, and that's the real engineering. That's elite, cool engineering. Thank you so much for watching, guys, and listening. For those who are listening to this in the podcast, um, subscribe for more back uh, discussions, topics, news. And uh, my name is Hussein. I'm signing out." Thank you so much. Stay awesome. I'm going to see you on the next one. You guys stay awesome. Goodbye.